Thanks for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Dominique Russell. Childhood and adolescent anxiety is something many classroom teachers will come face to face with, so it's important to understand what a teacher's role could be in identifying and managing anxiety. Are there behaviours a teacher could be observing in the classroom that might be typical of anxiety? How can a classroom educator help to reinforce the work of a student psychologist or therapist? And what can teachers do to make their classroom more comfortable and accommodating for students experiencing anxiety? To discuss all of this, I'm joined in today's episode by Dr. Rowena Conroy, a clinical psychologist who works with children, adolescents and families at the Children's Private Medical Group in Victoria. We sat down together at the National Education Summit in Melbourne after her presentation on student anxiety. Let's start off by hearing Rowena explain what an anxiety disorder is and why it can develop. So, um... Childhood anxiety or even anxiety um, at all ages, a couple of points to make is that anxiety is certainly a very normal emotional experience. Um, We all experience anxiety from time to time. Um, And in fact, it's very helpful and adaptive at certain times for us to experience uh, the changes uh, and reactions that go along with feeling anxious. We think there are a number of of factors that might contribute to the development of anxiety. So certainly we know that anxiety runs in families. Um, and we understand there to be uh, a genetic component to that. Uh, we also know that um, certain experiencing certain kinds of life events like stressful and traumatic experiences can lead to the development of anxiety, but also that many children will develop anxiety in the absence of significant stressful or traumatic events. Everybody experiences anxiety and that includes all, all children and, adol- and adolescents. Um, what we used to determine I guess whether somebody has an anxiety disorder is really the frequency and the intensity of their anxiety and perhaps most importantly the impact that anxiety is having on them um, in, a, in, a, in their daily life. So if anxiety is stopping a young person from doing the sorts of things that we would expect them to be doing at their age or stage of life um, and uh, causing them um, significant distress or impairment in that way, uh, we would consider whether they may meet um, criteria for an anxiety disorder if that were a um, persistent pattern of difficulty over um, an extended period. Now, it's also really common for the body to react physically to anxiety. People experiencing anxiety might also display certain behaviours. So here, Rowena delves into what exactly anxiety can look like. So anxiety can look like lots of different things for lots of different children Um, and so individuals will show us that they're feeling, individual children and teenagers will show us that they're feeling different in uh, all sorts of different ways. Um, I think one of the most important things for us to remember is that it's not always the case that they'll immediately tell us about their worries or fears but we might instead learn about their anxiety or know about their anxiety through some of their behaviours. We often think of anxiety as having three different components. Um, 
Um, so we're often aware ourselves of um, the sorts of things that uh, children with anxiety also experience, which is the physical reactions of anxiety. Sometimes we refer to this as the fight or flight response. Um, things like a racing heart or a, um, a fast breathing, sometimes feeling sweaty or hot, uh, shaky, those sorts of physical reactions can go along with anxiety. Children who experience anxiety also um, display certain kinds of thinking patterns, so they uh, tend to see the world um, in a way that they're quite tuned into threat and danger. So they tend to, we might describe it as um, overestimating the amount of threat that there is um, in, in the world um, relative to the um, actual or objective level of threat. Um, and then that third component of anxiety is a behavioural component. It's often that behavioural component that's the most obvious to us uh, when we're working with children. Um, and broadly speaking, uh, those behaviours are characterised by what we might describe as uh, avoidance and or escape. Um, so children and teens with anxiety will tend to avoid uh, situations uh, that uh, they anticipate uh, may make them anxious. Um, they might also engage in more subtle forms of avoidance. So that avoidance might be something really obvious like not going to school or um, not sleeping in their own bed. Uh, but we sometimes talk also about a subtle or a covert form of avoidance, sometimes um, referred to in the literature as a safety behaviour where um, children might do certain uh, other kinds of behaviours to prevent them from feeling an anxious. Um, and a good example of this might be a, um, a high level of perfectionism where a student might have a fear of making a mistake. Um, and so what they do is lots of um, checking of their work and doing spending extra time on their homework and extra time on their assignments uh, just to make sure they don't make a mistake. Um, in a way we'd see that perfectionism as an avoidance behaviour because it's avoiding, they're avoiding uh, the thing that they fear most which is um, being wrong or making a mistake. So now that we understand what anxiety is and how it can present in students in the classroom, what role can teachers have in identifying anxiety? Yes, I think there's a really important role there for educators potentially being able to identify children experiencing anxiety and um, uh, as appropriate facilitate help and, and referrals if those um, that if that helps not already in place um, as well as in the management side of things um, and potentially also from a, a prevention point of view um, teachers are often meeting children at a, a young age and um, there's exciting opportunities there to, to potentially prevent the development of anxiety as well from the point of view of identification. Um, I think that teachers are in a really good position to um, notice signs of anxiety in children in that they're seeing them uh, day in, day out, uh, completing a range of different tasks that might often elicit anxiety in children. Um, so they're an important source of observation um, in that regard. And in terms of what are the things for teachers to be looking out for, uh, I think they're some of those things that we probably would have talked about as being the key um, indicators of anxiety at large. So for teachers to look out for children um, expressing that they're feeling very fearful or worried about something, um, if they notice a child avoiding a particular kind of task or um, even avoiding school on a particular day when certain kinds of tasks are going to be completed. Um, or there might be other ways in which teachers uh, notice students' anxiety 
anxiety, such as the way that they're um, approaching their work. So they might be um, reluctant about doing their work independently, but instead doing lots of reassurance seeking and checking in with the teacher about um, whether they're doing things right. Uh, they might be uh, checking their own work a lot and uh, being somewhat uh, what we might describe as, as perfectionistic about the way that they're approaching their work. So I think all of those behaviours could be different kinds of signs that um, teachers might see that children are experiencing uh, anxiety in the, in the school setting. So Rowena touched on perfectionism right there. Here, she delves into that idea a little bit more and how perfectionism is often misinterpreted in an education setting. Yeah, it's a word that we throw around quite a lot, isn't it, and describe it as a trait. And sometimes I think even people describe it as quite a positive um, personality trait or understand it to be um, describing somebody who's got good attention to detail or who really likes to um, uh, make sure everything's just right. But when we're seeing perfectionism in the context of anxiety uh, disorders or anxiety problems, um, it can actually represent a really significant, uh, a factor that's really significantly um, getting in the way of the young person overcoming their anxiety. So for anxious children, being perfect, perfectionistic, so really trying to uh, perhaps check over things over and over and over again to make sure they're right, um, or looking a lot at the detail of their work, um, those sorts of things that we might ascribe to, to perfectionism. For anxious children, um, those are really in ways um, uh, representing, if you like, um, a way of those children avoiding their biggest fear, which is the fear of making a mistake um, or the fear of doing something imperfectly. Um, what we know about recovering from anxiety or managing anxiety um, is that, in fact, what we one of the most helpful things for us to do is to help children to face their fears rather than avoid them. Um, and so if they can face that fear of making a mistake by perhaps um, uh, us either encouraging um, mistakes making and really kind of promoting an atmosphere where that's okay um, or helping children to and teenagers to um, minimise that checking or minimise some of those behaviours we might be um, doing a very helpful thing for them um, by helping them really um, confront that thing that they're most afraid of and um, learning that they can cope with it. So let's get into an educator's important and positive role in managing anxiety. Rowena says teachers can be in a position to reinforce the work of a student psychologist or therapist, and she explains that here. Uh, current evidence would tell us that um, best practice in terms of psychological treatments for anxiety is something that we call cognitive behavioural therapy or CBT um, and CBT has a number of components. Um, CBT for a young person with a psychologist would involve things like uh, a big focus on facing their fears, confronting their fears without engaging in some of those avoidance behaviours that we've talked about. Um, it might involve of helping them to uh, look at the way that they're viewing and seeing and thinking about the world um, and perhaps to have a, a, um, a focus on what we would describe as uh, realistic thinking or helpful thinking where we would encourage children to um, children who are getting stuck on perhaps seeing the worst case scenario or, or um, engaging in a, a catastrophic way of thinking we'd encourage those children to um, to learn how to um, you know, look at look at what we might call the evidence for those thoughts or look at whether there might be other ways they could view a situation that um, are not so catastrophic and um, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT for 
anxiety also um, involves a big uh, role for working with parents and helping parents to think about how they might be able to um, encourage brave behaviours and respond to their children when they're being uh, when they're seeking reassurance or engaging in avoidance. Teachers can play a really important part in reinforcing that work because CBT is quite a skills-focused therapy approach, which means uh, students or children will be learning skills in the session with their um, their therapist or psychologist, but then being asked to do some practice uh, later on at home or at school, some practice of those skills that they've been learning. Um, so if teachers are in contact with the psychologist or the therapist and then know uh, what the child's been learning, they may well be able to help them do uh, some of the things that I just mentioned, so help them perhaps to um, develop a bit of a stepladder for gradually facing their fears, um, help students to do some of that sort of realistic or helpful thinking that we've talked about. Um, so I think there's a big role that teachers can play there. Another behaviour that's really common with people who have anxiety is reassurance seeking, which we've touched on briefly. So here, Rowena gives a really great example of how to respond to a student consistently asking, is this right, about their work? Children with anxiety often do do a lot of uh, reassurance seeking and this can look like asking lots of questions of their parents, of their teachers, um, questions about things that are coming up, um, sometimes questions about uh, what ifs and whys as well. Uh, and we would understand this in children with anxiety if they're engaging in this excessive questioning and, and reassurance seeking. We would understand it as their way of perhaps trying to alleviate their anxiety about uncertainty. We know that children with anxiety disorders uh, often don't like not knowing or don't like uncertainty uh, so their, their questioning or their reassurance seeking can at times represent their effort to um, try and stop being in that position of, of, of being unsure. Um, in terms of what it may be helpful to do, I think just tuning into that is probably one of the uh, first steps for teachers. Sometimes um, it can seem like a really uh, positive and conscientious behaviour if, if students are asking lots of questions of a teacher. Um, so just holding in mind that for students with anxiety, um, it might represent their effort to cope. Um, what we'd like them to be able to do, of course, is learn that they can um, cope with uncertainty um, without having to get that reassurance from a teacher. On a really practical level, um, if a teacher, if a student rather were asking a question um, of teacher about their work, perhaps they were asking the teacher, um, is this right? Have I got this right? Am I doing it right? Uh, the teacher might be able, instead of just saying yes or good job, you're doing it right, perhaps the teacher could respond in a way that helps the student to um, learn to cope a little bit more independently with that situation. So maybe encourage them to, um, they could say, go back, why don't you go back and have a look at what the question was um, and see if you're answering all the parts of the question um, that, that are there. Something in those lines might then um, help the child to um, learn some different ways of um, coping when they're, um, when they're feeling uncertain in that way. Now, Rowena and I spoke about a particular scenario that could be quite relevant to a lot of teachers. She used the example of a parent of a student being late to pick them up and the student who might be having anxiety problems, would immediately go to catastrophic thinking. They might think that something awful has happened to their parent. So here, Rowena is going to explain that when a student comes to you with this problem, it's quite common to want to reassure them straight away. However, it could be more constructive and beneficial for the student for educators to invite more realistic thinking from them. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's often our um, inclination or our tendency to want to reassure a child who's expressing a, a worry like that. Um, and indeed, it's likely to be um, what we believe is that um, uh, that their mum is okay. Um, but um, what we suggest might be helpful for children is to, um, and this is something that psychologists will do in their therapy with children around anxiety, but also where there's a bit of scope, I think, for teachers to, um, to help children in this way in their natural um, daily conversations. Um, which is to really help children to perhaps themselves start to question um, those thoughts and have a look at those thoughts and whether those thoughts that they're having might be what we describe as a little bit um, catastrophic um, and therefore to perhaps be able to think about some of the um, different possible interpretations of that situation. So to think about whether um, it's possible that mum might actually be running late or that mum might have, that her car might have broken down or that she might have uh, bumped into somebody that she knows and had a chat along the way. So um, if teachers are able to um, help children to um, perhaps um, open up their minds to flexibly think about all the different possible explanations rather than just focusing in on the explanation that suggests uh, threat or danger, um, that might be helping children to learn a really important skill that they can use later on themselves. Rowena and I also spoke about how a teacher can work towards creating a comfortable and accommodating classroom environment for students experiencing anxiety. Here, she explains why normalising anxiety can be really helpful. I think there are a number of things that teachers can do in terms of perhaps the atmosphere or the culture that they're creating. Um, one of the biggest ones is just to normalise uh, discussion about anxiety and fears, so to have open discussion from time to time about um, the different fears that we all have, um, but given anxiety and fear are such a normal part of life. Um, and so being really sort of open and, and normalising about the concept that um, that these are really um, uh, normal parts of, of the human human experience I think can be um, can be really helpful. Uh, I think that another thing that teachers can do is provide or serve as really good role models for students around how to um, approach things if things do perhaps not go to plan or if something um, unexpected or difficult happens uh, to model themselves that they're able to be flexible or stay calm or not catastrophize um, or that if teachers can model more of that approach and less of that avoidance behaviour, they're again setting a really helpful example for students. The other thing that I think teachers can do, both for individual students struggling with anxiety but also for the uh, class as a whole, is to pay attention to what we might describe as brave behaviours or approach behaviours. So if they're noticing um, students uh, pushing themselves a little bit outside of their comfort zone, they might well want to um, provide some comment on that, provide some praise, provide some attention to that, or even set some tasks for some students um, that allow them to to do that in a more deliberate way. Um, And when we talk about praising, I think an an important concept for us to remember is that we're praising students for uh, facing their fears or their worries um, rather than praising them for perhaps um, not crying or not getting upset but instead it's the the behaviour or the facing the fear that's, that's what we're praising. And finally, is there anything that can be done at a whole school policy level to be mindful of children and adolescents experiencing anxiety? Rowena thinks there is and says there's an opportunity for school communities to promote brave behaviour when it comes to encountering things they might be fearful of. 
So I think one of the themes that we've been talking about a little bit is this idea of uh, being mindful of not uh, promoting avoidance uh, or not joining with anxious children in their uh, in their avoidance. Uh, and so it may be helpful for schools to have a look at whether at a, a broader sort of policy um, and practice level, um, whether there's anything that's going on within the school environment that um, is promoting that avoidance. And likewise, I guess then whether any changes can be made that are more around helping to um, promote that brave approach-focused behaviour that we've been talking about as allowing for children to really have the experience of learning that they can cope. That's all for this episode. To access the full transcript for this podcast, head to teachermagazine.com.au. That's where you'll also find all of our articles, videos and infographics for free. While you're there, be sure to sign up to the Teacher Bulletin to have our new content delivered straight to your inbox.